So we have a kegerator in the back. We do five gallon test batches. We throw them on the secret tap. The only way you'll ever find out about them is if you follow us on social media. Okay. So you have to come in. We don't sign it. There's no way for you to know about it. You have to come in and say, hey, what's on the secret tap? That's Billy Topley of Ludlam Island Brewery. I'm Freddie Clark, and welcome to Over Beers, a craft beer conversation podcast. Weeks ago, I visited the tap room of Ludlam Island Brewery in Ocean View, New Jersey, just outside Sea Isle City, and had a chance to learn all about their secret tap, the brews they're making, and got the story of Ludlam Island Brewery. Before we get to that recent history, let's continue our history of beer that we started a couple of episodes ago. Wine was plentiful in Greece and Rome, and beer never really caught on. But as Rome expanded their empire, they found people ready for a fight and fueled by beer. Rome's Pliny the Elder, yes, a real person in addition to the name of a great beer, wrote in his natural history, the populace of Western Europe have a liquid with which they intoxicate themselves made from grain and water. The manner of making this is somewhat different in Gaul, Spain, and other countries, and it is called by different names, but its nature and properties are everywhere the same. The people in Spain in particular brew this liquid so well that it will keep good a long time. So exquisite is the cunning of mankind in gratifying their vices and appetites that they have invented a method to make water itself produce intoxication. End quote. The Celts and Germans that the Romans encountered were very good at making beer. As the Roman Empire faded, Western Europe took on Roman Catholicism. Monasteries were set up and the monks established breweries to sustain themselves. As communities in Europe grew, they began to build breweries of sizes not seen since the Egyptians, moving out of small kitchens into larger spaces built to purpose with trained workers. By the early 800s, the monks of the monastery of St. Gallen in Switzerland built the first full-scale brewing operation in Europe. The floor plan they drew up in 820 would be recognizable to brewers today. In the early 1100s, St. Hildegard wrote of the virtue of a useful plant that was excellent for physical health and preserved all kinds of drinks. Soon, much of Europe's beer was transformed by the use of, you guessed it, the hop. By the mid-1300s, Hamburg became the leading brewing center in the world. Almost half of Hamburg's 1,075 manufacturers were making beer. They were more advanced than any of their rivals and were sending 133,000 hectoliters of beer a year out of the city. Everything was great for beer until the Thirty Years' War, from 1618 to 1648, brought a time of misery and death in Europe. The population was halved by violence, disease, and starvation. Brewing moved out of industry and back into the homes. It was going to be almost 100 years before it returned. We'll talk about beer's history another time, but let's return to Billy and Ludlam Island. The brewery has a ground floor tap room and one upstairs as well. We set up in that upstairs tap room and had a real fun conversation over beers. I had a pool table growing up Mm -hmm. in my basement and uh, a very good friend of mine, Larry Zarek, we would play pool for hours. Okay. And when we got old enough to start you know, drinking some beers. Not drinking age, but old enough to where that right. became the thing. And our parents knew we were safe. And, you know, we, I don't know how it started, but we wanted to get, you know, we didn't want to drink what our dads drank. Maybe that was it. Okay. I'm not sure, but it was always like Molson or Lowen Brown or trying more European lagers. And, 
you know, that, that just kept continuing to grow and grow and grow. Okay. And Larry's actually one of the partners here at the brewery. So, okay. so you guys, you guys <laughs> continued. Okay. Yeah. So was it the time when you were drinking the, I'm very, always very interested in the path. At the time when you were drinking the Molsons and the Lone Brows and the Mooseheads, and I think I know the answer to the question, was it because those were the best that were around, or f- what drew you to them? Uh, <laughs> they were just different. Okay. It wasn't what everybody was drinking. And so it might sound a little, I, I, was, I don't want to sound like a beer snob, because you know, even today I'm not. Um, but we just were trying different okay. things right. and different things that we liked. Like he really liked Poly Girl. I hated it. Okay. Uh, I loved Beck's Dark. He didn't like that. So it, you okay. know, it wasn't like we were just all in because we were purchasing higher, okay, priced beer. It was just experimental. I experimental, guess. Yes. different tastes, different different things. Okay, absolutely. All right, so you're you're heading down that path, uh, playing pool, drinking drinking the European and the Canadian stuff. Um, what was your first, call it American craft? First American craft was uh, Poor Henry's in Philadelphia. Okay. It was the, I forget if it was the grandfather of Ortlieb's. So it was in the old Ortlieb's uh, brewery. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had started a, a craft brewery. It was a pale ale. I forget where we had even had, like, tried it the first time. But uh, we drove to the brewery to buy a keg of it because we had a keg rate at the time. Okay. So, uh, we, I remember showing up at the brewery. We like walked in. People were looking at us like, "What are you doing?" We're like, "We want to buy a keg," and everyone's looking at each other like, "What do you mean? <laughs> we want to buy a keg of your beer?" And they had never had anyone walk in off the street to do that, so they didn't know how to like charge us. Like we, we walked out with a keg, so okay. I don't I don't remember the finer details of right. how we wound they, up with it. They figured it out. <laughs> that was like my first real true foray into craft was this beautiful pale ale made by, uh, and. Descendant of Ortlieb's beer. Okay. <laughs> now, was it sight unseen at that point, or no, had you had tried had it? Already? We had, you had had it already. somewhere. Because okay. I, 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 that means that shows a lot. If it's sight unseen, that shows a lot about your commitment. You're going <laughs> no, in. And give no. me a keg of that. No, this is something we had had, and we're like, <laughs> okay. we loved it, and we're like, we've got to get a keg of this because I, I think at the time they were only doing draft accounts, so they weren't packaging. Okay. So, so that was probably it. So we were like, either it's a keg or or nothing. Or nothing. Right. Yes. Okay. You start brewing. Um, so, Larry and I brewed our first batch of beer in 1995. Okay. A bottle of which is downstairs in the tasting room. Okay. You can see this you bottle. You can see the bottle. Yes. Okay. Is we it have still a, full or is it an empty it bottle? It is full. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we called it a Lar and Bill's Irish... I forget if it was an Irish... I think it was an Irish... St- supposed to be an Irish stout, but it okay. turned into a more of an Irish red. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was our first four, right? 1995 was our first batch of beer. Oh, that nice. We brewed. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Now, did you I guess, did you continue homebrewing? Was that something that... We did, that- kind of on and off. We would hit different, like... Um, hot, you know, I went away to college. He stayed home. Okay. Uh, he actually went to school with me for a year, but that didn't go well. <laughs> um, so, you know, we would hit different stretches. We were more serious, less serious. Okay. Uh, spent more time together, less time together. You know, we... You know, as life goes, I mm-hmm. guess. But uh, we were—it was always there, and we were always huge beer fans. Like, you know, we started. Uh, I remember uh, in nineteen, uh, right out of college, I guess it was nineteen ninety-three. I got in a Volkswagen Golf, and Larry bought me a bumper sticker for it. Mm-hmm. And the bumper sticker was "I break for flying fish." Okay. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> all right. That's pretty and much right when it started. And too, it was yeah. awesome because I had seen Robin one day at the Flying Fish Brewery, and I told her about it, and she was like. 
oh my, that is an old, old <laughs> sticker. And I said, I had it on my car until it literally sun faded away. <laughs> Disappeared. Yes. Okay. So 19, early 90s through now to 2018 is a big gap of time there. Yes. So what, what was your path? What was your career path between now and then? Uh, I worked in a, in a pizza race since okay. I was uh, 13. Worked my way through high school, worked my way through college, uh, graduated college, thought I was following the correct path. I went and got a corporate job. Uh, absolutely hated it. It's not uncommon. Like, no, it was like, it was, uh, it was, it was sad. Okay. <laughs> I had, uh, I remember driving home one day, I pulled over, uh, it was five in the morning, I was driving home from a, a job, it's a long story, but uh, I pulled over, went to the beach, saw the sunrise, and was just like, I can't keep on like this, I can't. Mm -hmm. I was like, what did I love to do? I was like, I love making pizza. I love that atmosphere, I love the, so I had gone back to my first boss, and I was like, hey, what's going on? You know, just kind of shooting the shit, and um, he wound up hiring me back, and. That was it. I've been in the pizza business ever since. Still in. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So, so you own Pizza Ria? Pizza Ria? No. 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 Um, so I work for Pizza Ria Uncle okay. Oogie's in Seattle City. I've okay. been there for now for uh, eighteen years, I think. Okay. Um, they have two pizzerias in the city that I'm a very small minority partner in. Okay. Gotcha. And he's actually uh, so Louis Cerrone, the owner of Uncle Oogie's, is a partner here in the brewery also. Okay. So it's me, Louis, and Larry. Okay. So there are the three owners. Three owners. Yeah, okay. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you're doing that for 18 years. At what point does is the craft beer is the home brewing still happening? Right. Yeah. So okay. what was nice? Uh, so just so we're clear, I was in the, I've been in the business. I was 13. I'm 45 now. So it's okay. a little longer than 18. I've been with Louis for okay, 18 Louis years. Okay. Louis for 18. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what was really nice is uh, so I worked in Seattle City. Uh, the restaurant's only open in the summertime. Mm -hmm. So in the wintertime, it just gets closed. Okay. So I had this huge commercial kitchen at my disposal. Stainless steel sinks, ice makers. I, it was a home brewer's dream. Okay. <laughs> so I was right, brewing yeah. beer in there, kegging. I had, you know, uh, CO2 canisters from the soda machines. Like I had everything. It was okay. literally a dream. Nice. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we. that's so when it got a little more serious. You and then they stink were, up the house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or have your bottles explode in your closet or right, something right. like that. Um, yeah, it was, it was really, it was great. And, and for any home brewer out there, start kegging immediately. <laughs> Your love for, for brewing will just explode when you stop bottling. <laughs> it's the most frustrating. When I started kegging, I was like, oh, that's it? Oh, right. my beer's ready tomorrow. Right. I was like, I that's threw, all, so, threw all my bottles away. Right. <laughs> Never to bottle again. Never right? to bottle again. Right, okay. So when do you then decide, you know what? Working in a, you work in a pizza business, when do you decide that opening your own brewery is the way to go? You know, it was never on my radar. Okay. Ever. I never thought about it. I, it never occurred to me until, um, so, I forget, it was 2012. Uh, my mother had gotten really sick, and she lives down in Florida with my dad. So I would fly down there to see her um, maybe once every two weeks, and I couldn't spend a lot of time with her, maybe like an hour a day. So I had a lot of downtime. So I'm just kind of surfing the internet. I don't even know what I was looking at. And I come across uh, the new law in New Jersey mm -hmm. in 2012 allowing tasting rooms. And the light bulb goes off. And that, that was it. Just yeah, that I mean, so to backtrack a little bit, I'd been saving money for years thinking, uh, I went to school for business, mm -hmm. uh, thinking I would 
one day open my own pizzeria. Okay. And when I felt like I had enough money, the passion wasn't there. I've been doing it for so long. The hours are, you know, they, they beat you up. You know, right, right. physically it beat you up. So you went to something easy like brewing. <laughs> Not easy. It was just, I wasn't excited about it. Right. I, I just couldn't see me like getting pumped up about it. Okay. So I was still working. I just enjoyed it, but I just couldn't, you know, opening your own business, say, I always joke with Louie that like I don't want to be you because mm -hmm. I see what you go through and I get to go home at night and sleep mm -hmm. and you don't you know so it was always a joke between us and uh, I just couldn't get pumped up for a pizzeria and when I saw that law and I read the law and I went to a lawyer and I said does this say what I think it says and he says to me well what do you think it says I said this law allows me to open a bar in Seattle without a liquor license <laughs> And he says, yes, yes that's ish. exactly what it said. Yes, ish, because obviously that didn't happen, but it, it started the ball rolling for okay. me. Yeah. Okay. So 2012, the, the, the idea is born. How long before day one of Little Island? Well, there was the three years and $40,000 down the drain in Sea Isles, you know, trying to make that happen. Okay. So, so you we, had to come in and change the law. Well, in no, Seattle? no, no. Well, we originally no. tried to open in Sea Isle. Okay. That didn't work out. Okay, Ours gotcha. Very strong liquor ties, and they're all very good customers of mine, and, you know, no hard feelings. Um, it just didn't work out in Sea Isle. Okay. So during that time, I was fortunate enough that uh, Tuckahoe Brewery was moving to EHT. Uh, the landlord came to me and said, hey, I've been reading the paper about how you're kind of struggling and see, I'll get an open. I've got the spot, brewery approved. <laughs> Which, I'll be honest with you, uh, when things were going south in Seattle and I could kind of see the writing on the wall, I don't know if I would have pursued it because I lost so much money. Mm -hmm. I put so much time into it. I was beaten down. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to say I wouldn't have. I will never know. But when he came to me and I saw the spot and he said, it's already approved for a brewery. I knew I wouldn't have to go through those hurdles. Right. It was a no-brainer. Okay. So with that, I mean, not to get into too much detail, but I mean, 40,000, was that, you? did you already have a space you were thinking about renting? Uh, I mean, so, that's, a good, that's a good amount of money well, to- I'll, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, certain people in Seattle assured me that they were gonna make it happen. We were, okay. we, they were excited about it. It was gonna happen. So we put a uh, uh, non-refundable down payment on a building. We were okay. going to purchase the building. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, I had plans written up. So there's architect fees. There were, uh, I paid the city some zoning uh, fee. You know, so some things to get the zoning started, I guess, is the way to put it. Uh, architects aren't cheap. No. <laughs> Lawyers aren't cheap. No. Yeah. So uh, I think that's about what we spent. Gotcha. That's okay. a pretty solid number. Yeah, that is a big number. I mean, that's, and, and with what you're talking about, that number rings true. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. So when it all fell, when it all went south, you know, it was it was hard to take. It was very right. difficult. Yeah. yeah. I, can, I can only imagine. So then they come, the, the owner of the building here comes to you and says, I got a space. This is where you're going to be. Yeah. That's that, pretty much it. And I right? came in. Uh, the guys from Tuckahoe were super generous with their time, their knowledge. I mean, when I tell you... People constantly ask me, is it, are you guys really as cool as you seems like you're cool? Like, I... Well, yeah. That is, in New Jersey, in New Jersey craft beer, that is a theme that comes up over and over and over again. The more guys, people I talk to, ladies too, that are in brewing in New Jersey, 
the camaraderie between most, there's, I know there's a couple of outliers, <laughs> but the camaraderie between most of the brewers and the owners is amazing to me. I mean, in a lot of ways, you guys are competitors. Absolutely, sure. And you're all vying for people to buy the beer at the, you know, at the bars and the taps and take home the, take home the cans and the bottles. But everyone seems to be so willing to help one another that it's remarkable to me. I've never seen another industry where, I don't, I don't maybe it's different in the pizza business, uh. but I've never seen another, I don't think it is. Uh, I can tell you <laughs> right. by experience, the pizza business is not like that. Right, so pizza, pizzeria owners are not bending over backwards to help one another with. I shouldn't say that. No, I'm very friendly with a lot of pizza owners. Uh, we, we, I mean, we definitely help each other out if we're jammed up. Like, don't get me wrong. Right. It's not like that. But there's a different kind of brotherhood in this because mm-hmm. I think we've all been through, like, that story I just told you about trying to open and how much money it has. Everyone's startup story is phenomenal because mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone struggles. Yeah. And everyone has that moment when they don't know if it's going to happen. And, and, well, so getting back to the Tuckahoe thing, uh, they were just so generous with their time that I've tried like, like bend over back. People come to me and say, "Hey, I want to open a brewery." I'm like, "Hey, what do you need?" Like, mm-hmm. I will. Here's my number. Here's my card. Here's my cell phone. Like, I try to kind of pay that forward. Mm-hmm. And I forget where I was going. <laughs> but, but but that seems that seems to be a very common theme. It, and, it and, is. And a lot of guys and girls are doing that and helping out each other, whether it's you know paying it forward, paying it back, you know, advice. I had I had my grain didn't show up or went back. Can you know? Sure, we can help you out. You need hops. I mean, I hear all kinds of stories like that. Yeah. Where everybody is you know pitching in to help one another. So Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's cool. It's right. really fun. And, and again, I think it goes to that everyone's been through, through the same pain mm-hmm. that opening a brewery entails. Entails. Yeah. But I also think too, it also speaks to the community, the larger community of craft beer in New Jersey where you can sit at a tap room and because of the vibe you guys have, it just, it it permeates the entire experience. So where most people who are into craft beer, whether, you know, not knowing anything about it, the whole environment has a very welcoming and friendly vibe, for lack of a better word. And I think it definitely carries down from you guys not being at each other's throats and having that vibe to begin with. You know, it's funny. I'm really good friends with the guys at Slack Time, and they're literally seven minutes away from me. Mm-hmm. So I, I stop there often. They're on, they're on my way home, so I stop there pretty frequently. And uh, I'll see customers who I know from my brewery there, and they start apologizing. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I am here. Right, I'm here, too. Maybe yeah. I should apologize to you. I'm like, not cheating on you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, what are you sorry about? Okay. Like, like, I like their beer. Why shouldn't you? Like, it's, it, it really funny, is yeah. a neat. Like, it's just cool. I mean, it's awesome. Right. I love it. Anybody wants to open a brewery, reach out to me. I'll help you out. I'll tell you all the mistakes. There you go. Well, that's it. Absolutely. So, so where did the name, what what does Ludlam Island represent? Where did uh, the name come from? So we were trying to open a sea aisle, mm-hmm. kicking around ideas. Um you know, of course you're in Seattle, so Seattle Brewing Company, Seattle City Brewing Company, you know, they, they all pop up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we were going to go with that. We had the website, we had the Twitter, you know, 
and it just it just didn't sit well with me. I felt like, I don't know why, it just felt like it was more about the t-shirt or the sweatshirt or the merchandise, and it just didn't feel very authentic. It didn't feel very, it just didn't sit well with me. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, it just didn't, you know. Uh, so one night I'm just at home on my computer and I Wikipedia CL City. And the very first thing that I read is, CL City, which rests on Ludlam Island. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I've lived in Seattle City almost my whole life. What? <laughs> so I've come to find out that Ludlam Island is the barrier island that Strathmere, Sea Isle, and Townsend's Inlet rest on. Okay. I had never known that. I would guess most people <laughs> hadn't. Yeah. Well, that's what I've come right. to realize. And I was like, wait, if I don't know this, probably a lot of people don't know this. Mm -hmm. And that, that's pretty much how it was. So where it came from. I had this cool story right off the, right right. Off the bat. Well, I am seeing a... a, I'm seeing a, a, a I'm seeing a, a commonality in your everything you said. Um, I was on the internet, and I came across. <laughs> I was on the internet. I saw the law. So, <laughs> so you get a lot of good ideas from the internet. It seems. Uh, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I never thought about it that way, but sure. Yeah. Thank God for computers. There you go. <laughs> All right. So we've got a load of a load of tasters going. So what are we gonna? What should we take a look at first? Um. So this weekend, we've never done this before. We, we figured we would do it this weekend. We're showcasing all of our IPAs. Okay. So we have eight beers on tap, uh, two hand engines, so we always have two casks on. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to let your listeners in on something. We do a secret tap program. Okay. So we have a keg rater in the back. We do five-gallon test batches. We throw them on the secret tap. The only way you'll ever find out about them is if you follow us on social media. Okay. So you have to come in. We don't sign it. There's no way for you to know about it. You have to come in and say, hey, what's on the secret tap? Okay. Good and to it's know. always something cool. Right now, it's a uh, it's an IPA we made with birch bark. <laughs> okay. It's super no. cool. All yeah, right. yeah. But we do like a lot of fun and exciting things on the secret tap. Okay. Like, really just like one-offs that we're experimenting with things. And... Uh, so that we've had a lot of fun with it. Cool. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. So we're showcasing all of our IPAs that we've ever done, except for one, because it's a, a release that we do in April. Okay. So other than that, we have a bunch of IPAs on this weekend uh, that we're super proud of. I mean, everything on our tap list, uh, we're just super proud of. So. Okay. So let's... If there's anything you really want to showcase, Let It Shine, which is gone. <laughs> Because <laughs> I drank that all while go. we were talking. Uh, so you're bone, dude. All right, no problem. Um, let's do the inescapable worldliness of mankind, which okay. is actually a, a, a pale ale, but it's very hot forward. So it kind of drinks a little bit like an IPA. Hmm. I pick up the rye. Yeah, that is nice, though. Awesome. Yeah, that is but very I nice. I like it. I get more of a fruit kind of star, uh, uh, peach gummies. This, I get like peach, peach gummy. gummy. Yeah, that is? peach okay. gummy. Well, but you know what? That's candy. And that's that's one of the things that I do love about beer, craft beer, is that everybody does pick up something different sometimes. Oh, absolutely. You know, sure. and, then, and just like with anything else, and you if you pair it with food, uh, the first time I ever did a wine pairing, it was cheese. Mm -hmm. And it was just, you know, have a sip before. Okay, that's the, the one. And then put something in your mouth, piece of cheese, chocolate, whatever, then have another sip. And it's an entirely different thing. You know, so, and beer, I'm coming to believe, understand, it does the exact same thing. And, Absolutely. you know, you, the, you have a burger, you have Chinese food, you have Thai, 
makes the be- makes the beer all same beer completely different. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's brew this beer and then fish alley. And then we'll do okay. this beer and then fish alley. So it's so your every it's other, your it's our your flagship. flagship. Oh, yeah. okay. I hate to use that term because like we're not married to it. Right. It's like the populace. It's okay. Like we're just we're brewing to demand. You right. Know, like, okay. Well, but and that's that's something you see a lot. So like a lot of breweries I've noticed they'll have you know, they'll have the one that is selling and then they'll have the stuff that they love. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. or, you know, they're experimenting, right, with. Sure. And, you know, it, it, there's nothing wrong with keeping the lights on. You know? no, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, absolutely, you know? yeah. So I talk to a lot of people who want to open breweries and, and they're tied to this certain style or a certain period. And I'm like, mm, that's great, but, I mean, you know IPAs are big. Right. <laughs> like, how do you not do it? Yeah. Right. Well, and that's, yeah, I mean, what is it? The last thing I heard was it's 40% of craft beer. Wow. Is, is IPA. I mean, there's, there's no doubt. Right. I mean, there's, I put it on, it sells. Right. So the places that have 13 out of their 15 taps with their IPAs, you can't blame them because no. they're going to sell. They're going to sell. And the bar that says, well, what's your IPA? I can't blame them. Right. I mean, so many, and that's what's funny when, when you talk about people coming to craft. I mean, I've told this story before on the podcast. I have so many friends that, you know, are not into craft beer, right? Late, we're sure. in our mid to yeah. late 40s. We grew up on... Coors Light, Michelob, that's what they drink today still. And you say, well, what, what don't you like? Well, I don't like the bitter stuff. It's like, okay, well, first off, you know, craft beer is not just IPA. You know, it's, there's a lot of other things. And IPAs there. aren't just bitter anymore. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, that's what the whole, I remember the first time I, mean, I showed. I think that Fish Alley is a 35, uh, yeah, I think it's a 35 IBU. Okay. Well, even your, I, I mean, I know the Copper Hat says hop forward, but I, I get a lot of malt oh, well, characteristic on it. West Coast, yeah. maltier. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then you get to, you get like New England IPAs. They're That's not bitter. That's shine. That's, yeah. yeah. They're not, they're not going to be bitter. No, they're not going to yeah. be bitter at all. No. So this is the fish alley. I love that beer. It's, it's I can see why bars want this in the summer. Yeah. Because it it's, it's refreshing. Got, it's, yeah. it almost feels like it's quenching your thirst. Yeah. yeah I absolutely. mean, it's got, it's got some character to it, but it's not, like, I could, well, it's 7 ABV. I don't know if I can drink it, it all day. Seven <laughs> I was surprised. So the story about that is our very first account was at Seattle City Yacht Club. Mm-hmm. And they came to us before we were going to open. Said, hey, listen, uh, our, our members, because it's a member-only club, and mm-hmm. it's a yacht club. So they were like, our members keep asking us, like, what's an IPA? You know, they keep wanting to know. My kid keeps talking or my grandkid keeps, you know. And they were like, uh, and I said, listen, we'll develop you an IPA. Like, we'll, we'll make a couple of them. You get to pick what you want. So we actually made them the Copper Hat okay. and the Fish Alley. All right. Thinking they would go with the lower ABV Copper Hat. Uh so we made those two beers because they weren't named yet. Okay. So uh, surprisingly, they went with the Fish Alley. Hmm. It is their largest selling beer except for one major brand. Right. Okay. Um, oh, that's that's very nice. That's So we named the Fish Alley because the Seattle City Yacht Club is located in the historic Fish Alley of Seattle City where all the fishing boats okay. reside. All right. That's very nice. I do like that a lot. And then this one was, I'm sorry, Let It Shine? So that's one? Let It Shine. Uh Maybe some of your listeners may know it as Lamplight. We were okay. asked to change it. Was there a Lamplighter Brewery in Massachusetts? Okay, had a, you know requested that we, that we change, change it. it. Okay. and I was more than happy to oblige. All IPA this weekend, but traditionally, traditionally we have a very balanced tasting room tap list. Very okay. balanced. Uh, we do a goza. Uh, we have a couple stouts that we rotate. 
Uh, we have a coffee pale ale that's very popular. It's actually our top, our second top selling Some beer. Is that how you say that? Huh? I guess. <laughs> Fine. That works. So Harry's Coffee Pale Ale. Now, you're saying you are right next door to a roaster. I guess that's Harry. We are right next door to a roaster, Harry and Beans. Okay. Organic coffee roasters. Okay. Harry is a kind of a local legend, surfing legend around here. All right. Super cool dude. Was he Harry Beans always, or was it Harry Beans since he started the coffee stuff? It was Harry and Beans is the name of his coffee company. Okay. Harry Gale is his, his name. name. Okay. Uh, he uh, was very instrumental in this beer. Uh, we would give him wort tastings. We would develop, uh, he would roast different coffees at different levels. Uh, we settled on a Honduran coffee. Very light roast. Initially, the rye. Is yes, so absolutely. So that is this, made this with is our, very rye. That's made with our foundation pale ale. Okay. So the foundation pale ale is a rye pale. Okay. We felt like he gave it a nice canvas to mm-hmm. let like the coffee kind of shine through. Mm-hmm. And then on right after that, the coffee does come up. If I had foundation pale ale on tap, you could hold them side by side. And there's no color. Right. No there's difference. No discoloration. Well, that's funny when you said because just when you said coffee. I walked over with that. <laughs> and I'm like, usually it's a coffee, it's a stout porter, or stout, well, you know, it's got, it's a darker, you know, but. I feel like the reason for that is, well, A, if you use it, if you use coffee or if you use brewed coffee or if you use grounds, you're mm-hmm. going to get some color, you know, some discoloration from mm-hmm. the coffee. We use whole beans. It okay. just sits on there for days. Okay. Which is why I think a lot of larger brewers won't put the time and effort into that and who knows what we'll do one day, but you know we're small enough where we can let it sit for four days on whole coffee beans mm-hmm. <laughs> to mm-hmm. get that flavor extraction. You've been mentioning di- distributing around the area. Are you really just in this section of Jersey, or are you starting to? Are you spreading? So spreading our, out. Our furthest north account is probably Manahawkin mm-hmm. area. Uh, our furthest west account is probably Pensalkin, Palmyra mm-hmm. area. Okay. So that, that's pretty much it's it right now. Yeah, okay. we're self-distributing. So, okay. you know, we've talked to some people about going to Philly. You know, we don't think we're really there yet. We've gotten a couple offers, which makes us feel great. Mm-hmm. Uh, we feel really good about that. Uh, we feel like the beer's there. Mm-hmm. It's just we're, we're still really small. Right. Gotcha. No, fair <laughs> we're enough. We're super small. Gotcha. Well, it's super good. So, Thank I you. mean, what are your near-term plans? You got anything coming down the pike you want to talk about that's coming soon? You know, what's, well, what's um, on the horizon? Okay, so build-wise, we're planning on getting three 20-barrel fermenters, which for a lot of people listening probably doesn't sound that big, but that would actually make us one and a half times bigger than we are right, right. now. Uh, that will enable us to can, start getting on shelves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're pretty excited about that. Uh, we've had tons of requests like from liquor stores that really want to carry us. Okay. So that's very flattering also. So uh, I saw some bottles downstairs in the cooler. Is that just for here? You're not, uh, you're not bottled. There's no bottles or cans anywhere right now. Yeah, they are just, okay. yeah, we have a four station bottle filler that we do. It's very manual. Okay. It's very hands-on. Uh, we just do that for limited releases. We do a, a stout a month over the winter. Mm-hmm. So we do that. We uh, So over the winter, because we're so seasonal mm-hmm. and we do slow down so much in the summertime, our, 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 our accounts slow down, our tasting room slows down, we're able to experiment with different things. So we're doing a, a different IPA every month. Over the winter, uh, our next release is going to be this month actually called uh, Wrestling Moves, just a big New England style hazy 
Okay. Hot bomb. Cool. Yeah, so we're pretty excited about that. Uh, other than that, keep the wheels turning. Well, well, thank you, man. (laughs) But listen, I'd be remiss if I wouldn't give a shout out to uh, our two brewers, uh, Joe Laluk. He's our head brewer. Awesome dude. Super cool. Doesn't have a beard, but he's a badass mustache. (laughs) A brewer without a beard? Well, he did have, no, no, no. He did have a beard. He just, he tells me he gets bored looking in the mirror, so he constantly has to like change it. Right now, he has like a, kind of like a, I don't even know what kind of mustache it is. Not a porn stash. Something different. <laughs> that old Tom Selleck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like something like that. And then there's uh, Bradley Young, who's our assistant brewer and chief of uh, social media. So if you guys follow us, he always has a good time on social media. We always got something stirring up. Super cool guys. Thank you, Billy. If you haven't already been, you can visit the tap room at Nine Stony Court in Ocean View, and check out their website at LudlumIsland.com to find out what they've got on tap. Next Friday and Saturday is the Atlantic City Beer and Music Festival. Overbeers is going to be recording there all three sessions. If you're there, stop by, say hello. Plus, we're going to have Overbeers glasses that we're going to be raffling off each session. And I'm going to be releasing special episodes throughout the weekend. So keep checking your podcast feeds. You can check out the blog at overbeers.beer. As always, please leave a rating for the podcast on iTunes or where you get your podcasts. It helps, and I appreciate it. You can leave a comment at the blog or send me an email. I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas for the show at cheers at santephoto.com. You can also follow along on Instagram at santephoto. I'm Freddie Clark, and I'm going to go have a beer, but I'll be back next week with a few very special episodes of Over Beers.